The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to your Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I very came very close to saying the wrong podcast name again. I've got all these pods we're doing over here at Hoopball, and I'm not the host of them, but I keep seeing their names, and I keep thinking, is that my show? Is that my show? And the answer is no. Just this one. Just Fantasy NBA Today. So pull it together, Dan. This is the one you've been doing and this is the one you will continue to do. Uh, it is Tuesday, June the 22nd. We are in week six of the offseason. I think that's what I decided. So is this show 27 of the fantasy offseason? I've lost track. I'm just slashing marks in the prison wall over here until we get to uh, another basketball. <laughs> I kid, of course. Playoffs have been great. No games yesterday, so we don't need to talk about that stuff. Uh, quick rehash of what I discussed during my VEASAN appearance this morning with the great Gil Alexander. For those of you that don't listen to that, you should. It's a great show. It's called A Numbers Game. It talks sports betting. But I want to break down the two series right now as they currently stand. Then we will dive back into the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. Of course, we are starting with my uh, the logo for the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. That, of course, is Tobias Harris with a photoshopped gray beard on his face. And that'll be where we pick up when we get back into the fantasy stuff. On the regular basketball side... Oh, hey, by the way, this is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoop ball is at Hoop Ball Fantasy or at Hoop Ball Tweets on Twitter, hoop-ball.com, the website. Please do check out the great William Harris's brand new show, The All-Rookie Podcast, mentioned on yesterday's pod. Definitely go listen to that. William has been punching away behind the scenes. This is his passion project, and I want you guys to make sure you check it out. Yes, yes, yes. That's uh, I feel good about that. Okay, so let's talk Clippers Suns since that's the game that's happening in a few hours. Eh, it's more than a few hours. It's like nine hours from now. Phoenix favored by five, total of 223. Both Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard remain out for this ballgame. And it's it's Western Conference Finals chicken at this point. Which of the two injured players will return first? My guess would be Chris Paul, which means the Suns probably win this series. But do we want to take that risk and that's what i mean by western conference finals chicken as in you you if you bet on this series you're betting on who you think gets their superstar back before the other suns were a minus 225 favorite when this series began they won game 1 and it jumped now it's like minus 450 at a lot of books clippers big time underdog if you thought Kawhi Leonard might come back in the next game or two, there's a pretty damn good price to be had on the Clippers. I personally don't. I think Kawhi Leonard might be out for the season, and they're just playing a little bit coy. But maybe he shows back up again. I don't know. It's his quad, it's his thigh, that where all the 
neurodegenerative stuff is going on. And a knee, I you know, you can't you can't mess around with it. But at the same time, his Clippers are, if they go down 0-2, maybe he feels the need to try to play through something. I, I really don't know. With Chris Paul, his COVID diagnosis came about a week ago. I think a tiny bit less. I think we're six days out from the news breaking. And we don't know what his vaccination situation is. We don't know what his symptoms are like. We haven't really been told much on that front. For instance, someone like a Zach Levine, who had very few symptoms, he came back about three weeks late, a little less than that, I believe. And that is seemingly the best case scenario for folks that actually got COVID. So he's probably going to have positive tests for at least seven to 10 days. That seems to be the case. Now, there are outliers. There are weird things that happen. But I think it was was the Suns reporter. I think the last name is Gambadoro, who reported that Chris Paul was actually COVID positive, that he tested positive. It wasn't an exposure. It was a, a real positive test. I think and again, we don't know the vax status of all of these guys, but exposures, they, they've now started treating those as a much lesser situation because players are vaccinated. But again, we don't know what the deal is with Chris Paul on that front. Regardless, he's positive now, we, according to the reports. That's what we're going off of. I don't know anything beyond those. This is touchy ground. So we can go ahead and analyze this two different ways. If he's actually positive, if he's actually COVID positive, then... Probably he's missing the series. I think the Suns have to assume he's out for the series and then potentially back for a finals matchup if it goes that far. If it was an exposure, he could resurface in two days. It would tell us that he's not vaccinated, but if it was just an exposure, then maybe they get him back by game three or game four. I'm inclined to believe from the reporting we've seen that he's out for the series. And that a best-case scenario is, like, if this thing went six or seven games, maybe he could sneak back in for the last one or two of those because playoff series tend to take a really long time. This is game two today. Game three is on Thursday, four on Saturday, five next Monday, six next Wednesday, and a possible game seven would be on July the 2nd if it went that far. Uh, Paul... We had the news on him, I think it was either on the 16th or the 17th of the month, so it was about a week ago, meaning you roll another week into this, at least, and you're looking at maybe if his conditioning isn't completely shot to hell. Like, I don't know what Chris Paul's housing situation is like. Perhaps he has a basketball court in his house, or maybe he has a treadmill. I know that he's quarantined away from the actual workout facility, so he's not going to get a a playoff-level run. But, I mean, you're looking at it from a few different angles. If this series is going six or seven games, he's going to force it. And even if he's not in condition, that's where you get, That's where a guy gets hurt. If he tries to come back and he's not actually conditioned for the basketball yet. So I'm assuming both Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul are out for this series. But there's probably, weird as it seems, there's probably a higher likelihood you see Kawhi Leonard in this series than Chris Paul. Because if the series is getting, if, if, say, the Clippers are getting beat up, let's say Phoenix goes up two or three games to nothing, 
then Kawhi Leonard has a greater impetus to rush back. If this series goes longer, you give more window there, and then I guess if there's a Game 7, then you say maybe Chris Paul gets back in there. But I don't think you see Chris Paul playing until at least July. That's where I'm at with this one. So you're at least, I believe, nine days away still from seeing Chris Paul. With Kawhi, I don't know. We really don't know. Uh, last ball game that Leonard played was on, was it last Monday? No, that can't be right. It was last Wednesday, I think. No, it was. It was last Monday. Sheesh. Boy, time goes fast. So the last game Kawhi Leonard played was over a week ago already. We don't know his status. They've been very coy about it. I, I think there's a very real chance he's just out for the playoffs. But he's already been out for eight days. So if this thing is improving, if it's not an end-of-season type of thing, then you might see him within the next five or six days, which is less than nine. So to that end, you might play Western Conference Finals chicken and say, all right, I'm going to put a quarter unit on the Clippers at plus 300, plus 350, or whatever the hell number you can get right now, that basically Kawhi Leonard comes back in a game, in a series that's like, you know, Phoenix up three games to two or something like that. I don't know. Maybe. Is it worth putting more? Hell no, because there's so much uncertainty there. We may see neither Kawhi nor Chris Paul in this series, in which case you probably go with the Suns because they have home court, and they've frankly looked better. They've looked like one of the better teams in the playoffs, when healthy at least, but again, no Chris Paul, that changes things pretty considerably for them. Still look pretty good in game one. What does that mean for tonight? Very little, really. Phoenix is favored by five, total of 223. That first ball game ended at 234 because Phoenix could not be stopped. Interestingly, Suns only took 89 shots in that ball game. I mean, Atlanta, Philadelphia was even slower to that end, although there were a ton of free throws in that ball game. And 89 shots and only nine free throws. And only seven turnovers. It was actually a pretty slow basketball game. But the Suns dramatically overachieved because of 55% shooting and 13 threes in that 55% shooting. Clippers actually overachieved a little bit as well because they hit 23 pointers. The whole thing is just a, a, a boatload of pace overachieving. The reason, so I lean to the under in that respect because I, I do feel like game two. You'll see the Clippers make some defensive adjustments. I don't know that the Clippers do a ton differently on offense. It was a lot of three-pointers, and this is kind of the way they've been playing. Their free throw number was 17, which is low, but not over-the-top low the way the Suns at just nine free throws in the whole ballgame turned out to be. So what do we think here? Well, we think that because this thing, again, if we were going to go just based on sheer number of possessions alone, this ballgame only should have ended at about 206, and it ended up 234, so you can see how much the, the teams overperformed the pace of the ballgame. Now, it may be that this is a more offensive-minded series because the teams are down super... Uh, you know, Chris Paul is a guy who slows the game down. Kawhi Leonard is a guy who slows the game down a little bit. These are, these are ISO or pick-and-roll type of offensive threats where things tend to move at a little bit of a slower clip. So, yeah, I mean, you might see this thing 
clear the pace number, but 223 is a pretty big jump from that last one at 219 when really the number of possessions in the game doesn't lend itself to that. The other side of that coin is, what if they do shoot free throws in this next one? Well, that's going to artificially inflate the number in a way, and then the teams don't even have to shoot as well as they did in this first ball game. So that does make me nervous. I lean to the under on that game. I, I kind of like the under. It's probably the direction I would go with maybe like a half unit type of play. But the free throw thing does kind of freak me out a little bit because I'm sure the teams have been lobbying behind the scenes to get a few more of those. The other series, which has yet to begin and won't until tomorrow, we'll talk a little bit more about that on tomorrow's podcast, but I wanted to kind of get it out in front of it today. The Bucks are a minus 500 favorite. That's too high. I like the Hawks at plus 350. The uh, the Hawks have been really good. Defensively, they've been really good. So I think they'll have a good plan for this series against Milwaukee. Not that dissimilar, I would reckon, from the plan that the Nets tried to run, but then add to the fact that Atlanta actually has rim protection. So take whatever the Bucks were struggling with against Brooklyn and then just add Clint Capella to that. Kevin Durant is a better defender at the four spot than anybody the Hawks can throw. That John Collins is is decent, but he's not Kevin Durant level of sort of extension and things of that nature. But like the Hawks, I don't think are afraid of Giannis going one-on-one against John Collins. Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, Kevin Durant, those guys actually did a pretty good job on Giannis in the last round. And I think the Hawks are actually better positioned to deal with this. One of the things that the Nets did well was they went to a smaller unit and just switched everything so that if the Bucks ran a ton of pick and roll, they could just sort of very easily sag back, switch or not switch, and it sort of didn't matter. And then Giannis wasn't able to beat them from the outside. And they kind of dared Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to beat them with jumpers. You might see the Hawks do something relatively similar to that. And you might be thinking, uh, well, on the, the Buck side, Brooke Lopez can try to nullify Capella a little bit by taking him out to the perimeter. But there's nothing that Brooke Lopez can do as a stretch five that Joel Embiid wasn't already doing. Joel Embiid had almost completely neutralized Capella, and yet the Hawks still played pretty good defense. That said, do I think the Bucks probably win this series? Yeah, I think they probably do. I just think there's a pretty good opportunity here to get on the Hawks' early at this really good number and if Atlanta let's say Atlanta takes game one tomorrow then you'll get a really good price and you can probably set yourself up a creamy little arbitrage you can middle that bad boy we'll talk more about the actual line on that game tomorrow Milwaukee's favored by seven with a total of 226 and a half I like the Hawks uh pretty good deal getting seven points in the opener of that series in Milwaukee that Atlanta's just shown me a lot of really nice things and I don't know why I've seen anything from the Bucks to say they can somehow make this this rapid fire adjustment on the fly. I mean, they're lucky that they were given so many days off between series. That's kind of like they went seven games in their series. They shouldn't have had three days off to rest up. Milwaukee should be wearing it a little bit. But I guess both teams did, so here, there you go. Atlanta went seven. They played on Sunday. Bucks played on Saturday. That one went as far as it could go. 
All right, let's uh, dive bomb headfirst into the fantasy stuff, shall we? The uh, Dan Bespris Old Man Squad, you guys all know the drill at this point. The Dan Bespris Old Man Squad is our guys that are exceptionally boring. <laughs> uh, and we like to try to collect on the fact that nobody wants really uh, anything to do with them because they're boring, because it doesn't make people feel like the smartest person in the room. And that's really the the very short and I think pretty clear story on the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. And if you've been listening to the pod, you know all about this stuff. Uh, before we do that, though, I do want to remind you guys of our buddies over at manscaped.com. We need to make sure that you guys are still hitting them up, checking out their new stuff. The Lawnmower 4.0, so good, man. I actually have, it's right next to me. I know you can't see it because this is a recorded podcast, but I actually have the Lawnmower 4.0. It's just sitting right next to me here because I want to be able to talk about it. It's sleek. I like the design. Still pinch-free technology. You got the LED light, which has been, I think, one of the really good uh, additions they've made to this thing is the ability to illuminate the area you are sideburn trimming, which for me, in an apartment that doesn't have particularly good lighting, if I'm trying to like make my beard straight, that's pretty damn useful. And I will stress once again, it is pinch-free. I don't know how they did it. Manscaped.com is the website. Promo code HOOPBALL20. Hopefully some of you guys got uh, some of their products for Father's Day. That would have been a really good thing. Maybe you're running late on a Father's Day gift from a couple days ago. You can still get something over at manscaped.com. HoopBall20, the promo code H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0. 20% off, free shipping on your order. Get it today. And now, now we can talk a little bit about the uh, Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. So yesterday we left off at Clint Capella, which was another really easy hit. He was better than expected, but not that far off from what we were looking at, Tobias Harris, the logo of the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad, the easiest draft pick every damn year, like four years running. And it occurred to me that because so many of you are in leagues with me now, I don't get Tobias Harris on my roster anymore. And it's really annoying. Which is why I got to get into a league with Honestly, look, if you guys are in a Roto League with a games cap, hit me up. I'd love to get into a new one. But I don't want to join one that's 11 hoop ballers and me. Put me in your personal league. I don't care. Like, if there's one or two of you hoop ballers in it, that's great. That's great. But I'm tired of playing with all hoop ballers. I got to work too damn hard to win. I still did, so that's good. But it's everything to lose for me. If I win, everybody's like, okay, yeah, Dan's the expert. He should he should win. If I lose, like, oh, great, we toppled Dan, some expert. Bah humbug to that. But I really mean it. I, I do want to add more Roto Leagues to my, uh, my, my catalog here and move more out of head-to-head. I have too many head-to-head leagues. Too, the luck factor is just too freaking stupid come playoff time. And it's very upsetting. If I work that hard, I should get something out of it. And with Roto, I can almost guarantee I'll get something out of it and you should too but again if you guys have an open spot and just some league with your buddies or whatever and you and it's a roto hit me up uh yahoo yahoo leaks that's what I'm looking I'm gonna drop into some more yahoo leagues next year that's the that's the plan at this point but anyway uh Tobias Harris who had a preseason rank of 61 and this was 
I mean, this was just the dumbest rank of all time. I don't know what people thought was going to happen. This is a guy who has shown himself to be a pillar of durability. And honestly, this year was about as not durable as he's been in like the last seven years of basketball. And he still only missed 10 ball games, which put him more or less right around league average. So even at his lowest durability, he was still, I, I would say, ever so slightly ahead of league average. I think the most players in the league missed 11 or 12 games this year. So by averages, Tobias was number 30. By totals, he was number 21 on the season. Beat his mark by almost three rounds on a per-game basis. Beat his mark by more than three rounds on a totals basis. Again, this one was just easy. It was just easy. Here's the thing. How do you know when a guy gets the durability bonus tag? And and maybe something's going to change with Tobias. I don't know. Like, he'll be uh, 29 in like three weeks. So he's not, he's in his prime, but he'll start to peter out a little bit. How do I know somebody gets the 10th category flag for me for durability? How about the year where Tobias Harris got traded and still played all 82 games? How about the previous year where he got traded and played 80 out of 82 games? Here's the running total for Tobias Harris since 2016. 82, 80, 82, 72, which is all of them, by the way, last year, and then 62 this year. So that is, this season really was as low as he's ever been on the durability scale, and yet a lot of other stuff went the direction we wanted it to. His free throw percentage went up. Probably a confidence thing, but also some sort of random variance to there. Uh, field goal percent, 51.2. That was a career high. Put up numbers not that dissimilar from what he did under Doc in Los Angeles. 19.5 points. Pretty similar to last year in fewer shots. So the fact that his shot count went down didn't impact him at all. Uh, blocks were oddly high this year. I don't think we can expect that would continue. But this is Tobias Harris. This is it, and he's probably going to get drafted in the 50s again next year because he's boring. He's boring. Two good percentages, 20 points, seven boards, three and a half assists, a steal, a little less than a steal, a little less than a block. I mean, there's like nothing there that makes you want to leap through the building, but he's just quietly fantasy useful while getting picked on in reality. It's the perfect opportunity for us to find fantasy value. I mean, it's, it's just so easy. Anyway, let's keep going. Rob Covington, preseason rank of 65. I was one of the few on this one. I was actually kind of out on an, on an island. I think everybody thought that he was going to take this colossal hit playing alongside Dame and CJ and Nurk, and it looked like that me might be the case at the beginning of the season when the shot just wasn't falling at all. But there were always those little signs with Rob. There were always those little things you could look at and say, okay, well, what really, what's different? His number of shots was down. Took seven and a half shots per game this year. So the scoring was down. There's no question about that. There were going to be fewer scoring opportunities for him alongside those guys. But if the reason you were drafting Rob Covington was for his prolific 11-point-per-game career average, sorry, 12, in scoring, you were going the wrong way. 
It was never going to be as great as it was in Houston last year when he was playing small ball center and he was going to get more blocks than he knew what to do with because he was the rim protector and rebounds. That was the perfect scenario for Covington. It was always going to be a bit more like it was in Minnesota where he was the sort of an undersized four that took a bunch of threes rebounded relatively well, but nothing overwhelming because he's a power forward, not a center, and got a lot of steals. And whatever blocks would come, well, it's just gravy. And sure enough, his numbers this year were actually pretty damn similar to that half season in Minnesota before the trade to Houston, or even you, you could talk about the year before in Mini, but he took more shots then. I think he just sort of wanted to do more that year. Uh... And, and again, you had to adjust down for the field goal attempts. And sure, uh, as field goal attempts go down, usage goes down, or, you know, flip that. Value is going to go down as well. But we also need to keep in mind how unbelievably ice cold he was for the first six weeks of this season. And then he went on a run of like three straight months of top 20 production. So when it all leveled up, Leveled off for Rocco. He was number 58 by averages, which is a bit lower than I was hoping for. He was still he still beat his ADP there by three slots, so pretty damn close. Um, and a lot of that is because of how terrible he was the first six weeks. If you pull that out, it was more like top 35 on the per-game side, but you can't pull it out because that it happened, so it's it's part of the equation at that point. But also, you're talking about another guy who generally plays his basketball games. He played 80. Uh, sorry, he played 70 last year out of the 72. Uh, 70 out of 72 again this year, which is pretty damn good. Then he had that knee stuff where when he got traded to Minnesota that first time. It's weird. You know, Rob Covington has always had this kind of sore knee thing that seems to pop up when teams need to tank a little bit more. But as soon as this... The teams he's on are actually trying to win something. Well, then he's good to go. So I don't know that you can necessarily give him the durability tag because there has been that kind of weird, checkmarked, sore knee-related history. But we haven't heard much about it in the last two years. Regardless, because he played in 70 out of 72 games, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, he was number 19 by totals. So completely destroyed his ADP there. Beautiful win. Four rounds of growth on that side. And uh, that's another old man squad victory. Now the process here was a little bit off, I think. Uh, I didn't have Rob Covington playing 70 out of 72 games. I thought it would be more like 66, something in that neck of the woods. And I thought his per game mark would be better than 58 because I didn't think he was going to be so awful for the first six weeks, and I had him more in the 35 to 45 range. But, you know, whatever, at that point, like, those things cancel each other out to some degree, and I think we can feel pretty good about that. Next one was a really surprising miss, although not exactly a team-destroying miss, other than the fact that the team he was on, everybody had COVID for half the year, and that was Marcus Smart, who had a preseason rank of 80, and a per-game rank of 88 completely blew me away that he couldn't hit his uh, pre-game rank on a per-game basis on that team. This was the year. Marcus Smart was going to be 
the starting shooting guard or starting point guard for a while while Kemba Walker was out. Kemba was going to miss all these ball games. Marcus was going to smart or Marcus was going to start smart start is that, well, it all came apart because Boston couldn't stay healthy. Smart missed a ton of basketball games this year. He finished at 131 by totals. And I mean, I don't know what you say about it other than bloop happens. He played 54 out of 72 games. That's rough. That's not good enough. Uh, Per game-wise, shooting just 40%. I mean, we knew he wasn't going to be good on a field goal percent in ledger. He's always had trouble in that regard. And, I mean, that's that's basically where he was. He's a career 38% field goal guy, so the 40% there... Wasn't terribly surprising. The fact that the three-pointers actually went down season over season, the shot attempts went down season over season. He shot the ball better, so his scoring actually went up ever so slightly uh, from 12.9 to 13.1, but it's basically a wash there. The assists went up. The steals stayed about the same. I mean, it was one of those things where last year... He kept getting inserted into the starting lineup, and he put up top 50 markers when he was in there, and then this year someone was always out for Boston, but it things just weren't right in Celtics town. But I'll tell you what, I am going right back to the well with this dude. Unfortunately, he's going to play himself into injuries because that's his nature. He's going to probably miss 15 to 20% of his team's game. So wherever he goes this coming season, whatever the ADP turns out to be, and it might be in that 80 range again, you have to know... He's going to need to beat his ranking on a per-game basis to beat his ranking by totals because he's probably not going to play more than league average number of games this coming year. Still, I would find it very difficult, considering the Celtics traded away Kemba Walker and only got big men back, just like loading up on big men right now. The Marcus Smart, Evan Fournier, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown contingent is going to be responsible for a lot of the stuff, and you say, well, yeah, I mean, Fournier, does he take Smart's, Smart's shots? A little bit, but Marcus is your starting point guard on an NBA team, and that's a pretty good spot to be in. So I'm probably going back to the well if he's getting drafted in the 80s again. I think his per-game mark will probably move up by around maybe two, and then you hope that he's healthier, doesn't miss 18 games this year, maybe more like 12. And our last breakdown of the day is OG Ananobi, which for about three months looked like the best damn old man squad pick on the planet. And then the Raptors just shut everybody down. And somehow he didn't quite hit his mark. On a per-game basis, Ananobi was number 39 this year, obliterating the preseason rank of 84. This one felt like a gimme. And then Toronto, Tampa, whatever you want to call them, just sucked and so Ananobi got shut down and they had COVID stuff and they had injury stuff and it was just everything and the and the Raptors were a lot like the Celtics in that regard where this was just a season that got blown up by circumstance I don't think it was the locker room Boston had the locker room stuff Tor- or Tampa had the when do we get to play a home game stuff among other things and so Ananobi finished at 108 by totals which is such a damn shame because that one should have been the easiest hit ever. I mean, he was really only a couple of games actually away from getting there. 
When you're beating your draft position by that much, he played only 43 out of 72 games this year. He missed 29. If he plays in like three more games, he probably hits his mark. But that's critical. I mean, that, that, that'll kill you in a head-to-head league. Roto, you could survive it because, again, you know, top 40 guy that you picked up in the 7th, 8th round, hell yeah, that sounds great. But you do need your guys to play, and in head-to-head, he wasn't. He just wasn't. Now, I'll go back to the well on that one, too, damn it. I was targeting almost everybody on the Raptors this season because of the departures that I thought were coming. Well, now they're all the way there. One of the upside plays with Tampa, Toronto, this season was, what if they trade Kyle Lowry midseason? That opens things up even more for Van Vliet, for Ananobi, for Siakam. The list goes on and on and on. Boucher, whatever. Uh... Well, they didn't trade Lowry, but everybody just rested. So you got this weird, clunky facsimile of it where Norman Powell got to play as a starter pretty much every game after the first five weeks. Then they traded him for Gary Trent Jr., and then they shut him down for a while. It was very difficult to handicap the Raptors this season. Still, uh, man, that one that one is a kick right in the tummy because we were well on our way. That was, you know, if Ananobi plays even league average number of games, then he's then he's a third rounder. Like we were we were looking at a third rounder at the end of the seventh, beginning of the eighth round. That is that would have been just magical. Oh well, I can't call that one a huge miss because again he only missed his mark by totals by two rounds and then hit his mark on a per game basis, but still that is pretty frustrating. I'm gonna call the mark a smart one a miss because we handicapped the per game stuff way wrong there uh and then the durability stuff which we already knew was going to be a small issue with him became a a much larger one so pretty weird little pocket there but again this is where you start taking some swings even in your old men these are guys where we talked about it two weeks ago when you're in the 80s and you're drafting you're looking for someone that you think has the potential to post top 50 per game numbers potential you could even extend it to top 60 if you wanted to make your life a little bit simpler. And Smart and Anobi and some of the other names we're going to give on tomorrow's show, they actually fit. They can get there. And then we sort of veer out of that as we get a little later in this discussion. But that's how you end up on those spots. And while the Smart one didn't work out even in, in practice, the Anobi one worked out in practice. That handicap was right. Who the hell had him missing 29 of 72 ball games? Nobody could have seen that type of issue. This is a guy that had been actually uh, pretty dang durable to this point. Last year, 69 out of 72. I mean, that's the first year where he's really been like a full-time guy for the Raptors. He played quite a bit the year before that, but he was only playing 20 minutes a game, so he wasn't really a feature piece until last season. COVID-shortened March ending where he played 69 games, logged 30 minutes a night. Seemed like, all right, this guy's ready to go. And then just this year wasn't meant to be. But you got to like all the other stuff. The aggression way up, field goal percent back up to 48. Well, I guess it was 51 the previous year. Despite an addition of three-pointers, I should add. The field goal percent stayed at 48. Very good three-point shooter. Uh, hopefully the free throw number continues to improve. He got that up to 40, or 78 this year. Rebounding is going to be pretty good because they don't really have a center anymore. 16 points, one and a half steals. Like, there's there's a lot to like about Ananobi. 
And maybe people got annoyed that he didn't play basically the second half of this season. So he might stay a value next year. And that's where we'll put a pin in things. Tomorrow, brief discussion of Hawks, Bucks, and then I want to get through a nice chunk of these old man squad guys. Again, make sure to check out our buddies over at manscaped.com with promo code HOOPBALL20. I am Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today. Enjoy your Tuesday, everyone. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I think that's Wednesday. Sure, that's what they tell me. So long, everybody.